let me know if you can hear me. We have had lots of difficulties with the audio this time. So I'm just holding the phone by hand um, rather than on the tripod because I was worried the tripod is pushing against a button or something. So let me know if you can hear me. And if you can't hear me, uh, I'm just going to have to give up and try again tomorrow. Oh, you can hear me. Katie can hear me. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I apologize. This is like the fourth time. The first time I was talking away for ages and I uh, wasn't looking at the comments. And then I looked at the comments and realized nobody could hear me. So uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for sticking with me. Um, I have had a very lazy day today. You can see that I'm in my dressing gown. It's not even early in the morning. I, um, I was just watching a lot of Narcos which I discovered and quite like, and uh, uh, decided just to spend a day reading and watching TV and relaxing. But I thought I can't completely waste a day, so I would do one Facebook Live to fill you in with what I'm, what I'm working on um, uh, in this new book, which I'm excited about, um, and also something I'm working on for this uh, event that I'm running in LA in November. So if any of you are around on the 12th, um, I'm doing a one-day kind of teaching thing at a comedy club that's just around the corner from where I live called Three Clubs. And then if you stay for the weekend, uh, then the next day we'll go to the community that I'm part of, and afterwards we'll, we'll go to my favourite coffee shop. And we'll also go for drinks in the early evening on the Saturday night. So it's kind of a weekend of activities. But one thing I did do today in preparation for that, it hasn't been all lazy, is I watched um, an old Twilight Zone um, that I remember from my youth, which was quite significant for me. Because if any of you have seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, you'll remember that at the very end, uh, Willy Wonka turns around to the kid, I think it's Charlie, and says, have you ever heard the story about the child who suddenly got everything he ever wanted? And Charlie was like, no, tell me about it. What happened? And Willy Wonka says, he lived happily ever after. And then kind of the movie ends. And uh, this is kind of like the ultimate fantasy, uh, is that, you know, we think that if we could get everything we could ever want, then we would live happily ever after. It's the, the tyranny of happiness, the idea of wholeness and completeness that, you know, you've heard me talk about before. Now, what, it's very interesting to me, this, this, this idea, because, you know, in a sense, even from when we're very, very young as children, uh, if we, uh, you know, have parents who maybe aren't very good at dealing with their own emotions, uh, every time you cry or are upset, uh, they might try to kind of like say it's all okay and make you laugh and bump you up and down. And, and basically every time you're sad, they try to make you happy. So there's this kind of demand that starts off when you're very young to be happy. Uh, that somehow those negative emotions aren't good, that you should try to kind of get rid of them. But of course, you don't kind of get rid of them. Uh, you just push them down, you just kind of like hide them from other people and from yourself. Now, hiding them from other people isn't that bad. Uh, it gets bad when you hide them from yourself, right? 
And um, you know, so, so from very, very young age, we can, we can do this. And many of us live in a culture where this demand to be happy, to be whole, to be complete, continues. It's not from our family. It's not from our schools. It's in everything. It's in the magazines we read. It's in the movies we watch, like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's, it's, uh, it's in the parties we go to. It just feels like it's ubiquitous. This demand to have fun and to enjoy. Now, it's actually not that bad when it's an external demand. Slavo Shizek has this example that I think is really interesting, where he says, you know, imagine a traditional family uh, who has a kid. And they say to their kid, you have to go and see Granny Dot, right? And the kid's like, I don't want to see Granny Dot. I don't like Granny Dot. Granny Dot's scary. Her hands are really cold and she's wrinkly, right? I don't want to go. The traditional parent says, get your coat, get in the car. You're going to see, Auntie, you're going to see Granny Dot, right? Now then, what does the, the contemporary parent do? You know, the liberal parent. Well, the little kid uh, hears that they have to go and see Granny Dot, and they say, I don't want to go and see Granny Dot. She scares me, you know, I don't like her. The parents then sit little Johnny down, and they say, but Granny Dot loves you, and she's very, very lonely, and you bring her such joy. And, you know, you, you go round and you play with all of the stuff that's in her house and you bring such joy to everybody. Surely you really want to go and see Granny Dot, right? Now, Shizek says this is even worse than the traditional parents because in the, in the first example, the kid has to go and see Granny Dot, but at least they can maintain an inner protest. They can go, oh, I don't want to go see Granny Dot. And when I'm old enough, I'm not going to, right? But in the second example, not only do you have to go and see Granny Dot, you have to like it, right? So you, you've got no place of protest. Your own body is weaponized against you, right? So in, in, a, in a sense, uh, what happens for us is an external voice starts by telling us what we should and shouldn't do. And that's totally fine. That's the reality principle. Life is full of external commands that tell us what we can and can't do. But very gradually, we internalize this external voice. And it's a gradual process. Maybe your parents say, you know, you can't do X. And then they put a teddy bear. Like, what? there's, there's something called an elf that they have in America. They, they set on, elf on a shelf. I think it's called elf on a shelf. And it kind of looks at you, keeps an eye on you, you know, all the time. So that's a little bit more. There's still an external gaze, but it's always there, right? But you can hide from it still. But eventually, if, the, if that external demand becomes internalized, then you've got nowhere to run from it. And uh, interestingly, um, you can take, uh, Shizek takes the first commandment in the Bible, you shall have no other gods before me, as a type of external demand, where God is saying, you know, in, in the narrative, uh, you, can you shouldn't have any gods in front of me, which of course means, yeah, you can have other gods. Of course you can't do other things. Like, you have an internal world, all that. Just be discreet about it. Just don't do it in front of me. This is like, you know, a father saying to his son, you know, don't get drunk in the house. The implicit thing is, yeah, of course you can go out and get drunk with your friends. Of course you can. Just be discreet about it. Don't be an idiot, right? And of course, then the father is disappointed if they hear that the son hasn't gone out and got drunk. 
and is actually obeying all of their demands. I mean, that's a terrifying thing for parents. Is like you lay down these demands, which are really supposed to be for decency's sake. But of course, go out and play with the boys, play with the girls, go, you know, experiment, do do what you need to do, but do it discreetly, right? But the problem is then when that external demand becomes internal, there's nowhere to go. So in LA, as an example of this, the demand is enjoy yourself. You know, when you go to a party in LA, everyone's like getting drunk and you know, there's sex and there's, 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 there's dancing and there's, it's all this kind of crazy stuff going on, right? The demand is to enjoy. Now, that's all very well if you're not taken up by it. Because what you do is you go to the bathroom, right? And you go to the bathroom and you go, Phew, this is a bit exhausting, right? But it's all right. I can do this for a couple of hours, you know, have a laugh, have a drink. But if that demand is internal, if the demand to enjoy is not some external demand being made on you, but is something that's within you, you can't go to the bathroom to go, oh, I need to, I need to rest up for a bit. You go to the bathroom and everyone's taking lines of coke, right? The bathroom is itself part of the party. It's not the escape place where you can go and rest. It's, it's part of the whole thing, right? Now, um, for me, the church at its best is the bathroom in the, in the LA party. It's the place where like the world, especially in the, kind of in the Western kind of world, which is telling us you can be whole, you can be complete if you have enough money, enough fame, enough this, enough that, et cetera, et cetera, right? That's all very well, but if you take it seriously and you internalize that voice, then you can't go to the bathroom and be, but the church is the place where you go to relax. Now, a lot of churches are like a bathroom where you do your lines of cocaine. In other words, it's just a place you go and it's also saying you can be whole and complete and have ecstasy and have all of this great stuff. But at its best, it shouldn't be like that. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the place you go to, to escape that, that demand. Now, if you've been following my Facebook posts, you will know that this in theological language I call the serpent and in psychoanalytic language is called the superego. The serpent is the voice that is saying, if you do this, if you eat that piece of fruit, if you get enough fame, if you uh, have enough money, then you will be like God, i.e. you will lack the lack, you will be whole and complete. So that's the serpent. The serpent in the Bible is that inner voice that's demanding that you pursue, pursue, pursue wholeness and completion. Um, and this, as I say, Freud calls this the superego. The superego is the internal voice that is demanding that you have a great time, you enjoy, etc., etc. And the idea is you have to crush this voice. This voice, you think it's actually God, you think it's a good thing, you think you, should, you have to obey this voice. But no, 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 you need to destroy it. And that's what grace is. Grace is like, it's fine just the way it is. And that's actually more freeing than the frenetic kind of pursuit. Now, the reason why I'm saying all of this is because in 1960, uh, there was a Twilight Zone. In season one of Twilight Zone, which came out in 1959, uh, episode 28 is called A Nice Place to Visit. And the, uh, you can get this, you can get it online, you can, see, you can watch it on YouTube, um, or you can buy it on iTunes. And it's a story about this guy called Rocky Valentine. And Rocky Valentine is a low-level uh, criminal, a bit of a nasty piece of work, a bit arrogant, whatever, right? And anyway, he's doing this bank robbery, and or he's, he's, I think it's a jewellery store robbery, and the police come, and he runs, 
and the, he shoots at the police, the police shoot back, he dies. And when he wakes up, there is this amiable old man in a white suit standing over him called Pip. And he says, who are you? And Pip says, oh, I'm your guide. Right? I'm here to get you acquainted with your new life. And he, he's like, yeah, seriously, what's up? You know, what, 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 what are you trying to get out of me? And he says, I'm not trying to get anything out of you. I'm here to make you as comfortable as you can be and give you everything you need. So he's very suspicious, but he gets up. He says, okay, give me your wallet, points the gun at him. Pip says, you know, you don't need a gun. Uh, I'll give you whatever you want. You want money? Here, here, here's a, here's a thousand dollars. Gives him a thousand dollars. Like, well, seriously? And Pip says, okay, let you better than that. Let me bring you to your house. I've got a house for you. Brings him to this house and it's beautiful, like absolutely amazing place. And uh, Pip says, you know, I know you like gambling. Let's, let's go to the local gambling joint. And they go and they gamble and he starts playing roulette. Keeps winning, always wins, just wins and wins. Pulls the, the handle of the, the cash machines and he wins. He's playing poker, he wins. He's, he's winning everything. He's like, this is amazing. And he's like, am I dead? And Pip's like, you know, yeah, you're, you're dead. This is the afterlife. And he's like, I didn't expect to get here. You know, I thought I was a bad guy. You know, I don't know what happened. Maybe I must have done something good in my past that, that's got me this. And, uh, and so Pip says, listen, I'm going to go. But if you need anything from me, just call me. So anyway, this guy, uh, Rocky Valentine, is in a place where he gets everything he wants immediately. Everything, everything he can possibly imagine. He gets what Willy Wonka said to Charlie, I, I, if it's Charlie, I forget his name, um, at the end of the Willy, you know, Willy Wonka in a chocolate factory. He says, you know, you, you, you get everything, you suddenly get everything you ever want. But this gradually really starts to grind on him. And after only a month, he eventually calls Pip, and Pip appears, and he says, listen, I don't want to be here anymore. This is awful. He says, Pip says, oh, well, do you want something else? Like, what, do you, what, what do you want? He says, no, I've got everything I want. It's just, it's just too much for me. Uh, I never expected to be in heaven, and I don't think heaven is the place for me. And of course, Pip turns around to him and says, whatever gave you the impression that you were in heaven? You're in hell. Right. And, you know, it ends and, it, you know, the Twilight Zone voice comes in and Rocky Valentine is, is condemned to get everything he could ever want for all of eternity. Now, this is. Oh, oh my goodness. Hey, there was an accident. It's okay. Nobody's nobody's hurt. Uh, sorry, there was like a, a car accident right outside the house. Um, nothing serious, just like, uh, but the cars are pretty mangled. Um, okay, that was a little bit of a shock to the system. <laughs> okay, um, all right. Uh, yeah, so anyway... Um, uh, I have been, by the way, in a lot of accidents in my time. First three years I drove, I was in nine accidents. Uh, I was in the biggest car accident in Ireland with 32 cars. I was a very bad driver. Um, much better now, thankfully. Um, so the idea is, of course, Rocky Valentine is in hell. And this is the Freudian idea that actually to get everything you want, 
would not be heaven, it would be hellish. This is what Freud means when he says the reality principle, which is the principle that stops you getting everything you want, is what allows you to get any pleasure in life whatsoever. We all want to get rid of hell and retain heaven, but what if heaven and hell are intimately intertwined? Um, and yeah, sorry, that accident kind of like threw me as to as to kind of where I was going to go with this. So maybe I'll just go straight to questions. I probably won't post this either because um, I kind of got through them, unless you think I should. So anybody got any questions or thoughts about this idea of, um, uh, oh yeah, that, um, well, this idea that heaven and hell are intimately intertwined and that we think Oh yes, yeah, okay, sorry, sorry. I remember now, I remember now. I was saying about how we need spaces in our lives where we are freed from the internal demand of we want everything, we wanna get what we desire, we get wanna get what we want. That is the serpent, that is the thing we want to destroy. That's the thing we wanna get rid of. We need to be in communities where we're freed um, to just enjoy life without seeking this kind of absolute kind of perfection. And that's what parotheology is partly about. Parotheology is about saying that there's a reading of Christianity that helps us embrace life in its um, frustrations and dissatisfactions. But actually, that's what makes life fun and enjoyable and good. And, um, and that's actually, instead of conspiring with industries that say, we can give you everything you want, right? Which will always end in, 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 in hell. Or in industries that say, just give up desiring and give up pleasure entirely. Um, which always results in kind of just like depression and, and uh, you know, and self-destruction. There is a way of going, you know, life has difficulties and problems. And actually, you know, there's a way of living into that that is freeing and is 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 enlivening so anyway uh let's see if any of you have any thoughts um <laughs> matt says tell us about the event in chicago on the 22nd you're lying to me you're lying i'm not in chicago but i would like to be um oh yeah so thomas says so what's the alternative beside the the traditional and liberal option. Um, you know, like my, my argument is that generally religion, sacred and secular forms of religion, but um, there's there's two basic forms and either one is conspires with the pleasure principle and says, you know, we name it and claim it, you can have what you want and life is going to be perfect in this life or the next. And that's actually kind of liberalism and stuff. It's, it's the idea that, and that you know there is there is some sort of wholeness, completeness, and fullness, or the other um, tends towards withdrawal from the world. Desire is the problem. With withdraw yourself. I had a friend who so one's hedonism and one's nihilism in a sense. Uh, I had a friend who embraced nihilism for a few years, and uh, all he did was watch Stargate, and he watched every episode of Stargate and every spin-off episode. Um, of like all the, the series that were around it. Now he never, he didn't even like Stargate. He, he didn't think it was a great program, but he was so nihilistic that he just like watched one episode one day and thought, I'm just gonna do the whole thing. Um, and it was his kind of withdrawal from the world. And 
my argument is that that so one is hedonism, one is nihilism, the other is a what can be called the absurd. And you can look at my other Facebook posts. I talk about the absurd, but the absurd and Christianity is the absurd is where you you embrace the antagonism of, of life and existence and you find meaning and joy in that antagonism and you find a way to make peace with it, to rob death of its sting. Um, and that's kind of my whole project. That's what parotheology is, is doing in many ways. Um, by the way, if I seem a little bit uh, not as concentrating as always, it's because now all the police are outside my house. <laughs> It's all good. I'm sure you prefer to like see what's going on outside the window than listening to me talk. Maybe I should show you. Let's see if we can see what's happening. Hold on. Oh, look, there's the fire brigade. Wow, this is living in LA. It's kind of crazy. Hold on. Let's see. Yeah, there you go. You can't really see very much. I don't want to be that person that's going out with my phone. Um, so yeah, anything else? <laughs> Facebook Live with a car crash. I'm a trauma nurse, that's crazy. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Um, Okay. Oh yeah. I'm going to, I, to be honest, because, because I'm kind of so lost because of what literally happened outside my house, I'm going to answer some of your kind of less philosophical questions like Katie saying, how was the improv with Rob Bell? It was a lot of fun. I had a blast. It was great. I, Rob just kind of threw me a few questions and I was able to, um, chat. I think I chatted for like an hour and a half with a group of mostly business leaders and, and that kind of thing. And, um, I'll always love wor working with Rob. Um, Rob's such a talented guy and it's always lots of fun so that was great really enjoyed it um, <laughs> he said put some pants on <laughs> I hope you didn't see too much whenever I got up out of the, the craziness of that accident um, that would be terrifying for everybody uh, you know, or Adam says, are you excited to read Richard Rohr's new book? I actually haven't read Richard Rohr. Um, I like what I hear of him. And I, I think we are probably very much kind of like playing in the same field in many ways. Uh, but he's working very much within a kind of Catholic um, uh, church environment and world. And, and kind of I'm doing something slightly different. So I think we're probably quite similar. I know people who like my work seem like his work. But uh yeah, I haven't I haven't read his his books, um, but I should. Uh, what will your next when will your next book be out and what's it going to be on? Yeah, it's probably not going to be out for a while. I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to try and finish it by Christmas, and then I have to find a publisher to publish it. Um, hopefully that hopefully somebody will. Um, so it'll be kind of later in 2017, and it's going to be on the absurd. It's going to be on Christianity and the absurd. It's going to include punk. Dadaism. It's going to look at um, heaven and hell and and how they're interrelated in many ways. It's going to, um, it's yeah. So it's it's shaping up. I've actually got a lot of it written, but I want to rewrite it. Um, there's something about the structure that I'm not happy with, so I'm going to going to rework the structure, put a little bit more stuff in. There'll be a few Shema stories in there as well. So um, I hope you'll enjoy it. Okay. Whew. 
That was all very exciting. Did you did you hear the crash actually? I don't know if you heard it. It was quite loud. It was just like I was just chatting away and it was like kind of crazy. Um Yeah, let's see. Oh, oh, and then there's Naders. Oh, Naders is just saying then there's Enduring Love. Actually, yeah, the next book that comes out will be a comic book. Naders, who's the artist for the comic book, is actually on Facebook Live right now saying that will come out. They we're going to launch it at my Wake Festival. Um, so hopefully we will have hard copies at my Wake Festival of Enduring Love, which are fairy tales that I've written about love. It's called Enduring Love because love is so hard to endure. It's so tough. It's so difficult. People sometimes get married to get rid of it. It's so difficult. So um, these are like uh, various little fairy tales that explore the wonders and difficulties of, of love and desire. Um, so I'm excited about that. If you want to come to Wake, there's only 15 tickets left. It's almost sold out. So get the finger out, buy your ticket. Um, all right. Uh, oh, what's a good book on dadism? I, you know what? I, I'm not 100% sure. I just watched a, a good documentary called uh, Going Gaga for Dada, uh, which you can probably get on YouTube or the BBC. That's a good place to start. Um, but I have to ask my friend Barry Taylor. He'll probably, he, he knows so much about dadism. He'll probably have like a, a good book. I just know some of the art and some of the comedy and some of the, you know, the music that's come out of the Dada's thing. Um, I haven't really read very much on it. Um, but in a sense, that is, that's Dadaism. Dadaism is the art and the music and the the theatre, the cabaret. So it's kind of like best, exp best experienced, you know, uh, not that there's anything against reading about it. I think I'll probably read about it um, in the next couple of months because I, I want in my festival to, you know, really delve into the theme. Um, all right, uh, I will, I will check out now and, uh, thanks very much for joining me. I'm still 50, 50 about whether to, to keep this up or delete it. So, uh, let me know if you, you think yes or no, but of course you're going to say yes anyway, even if this was itself a car crash, you're going to say it because you're terrible. You're all awful. You want me to look bad. I know it. Okay. Take care. Bye.